Hi, everybody. This is John with Out of Character. Today, we're going to do another round of GM tips. Uh, I've been having some fun with these, so we're going to keep them running for a little while. Uh, if you're looking for some of our actual play stuff, no worries. We are recording things, and we'll have more stuff for you soon. But today, it's just me. Sorry. Hopefully, this will give some folks time to catch up on one of our other games. If you are looking for actual play, we do, of course, have Lamplighters going on. We have Adventures in Middle-Earth. Uh, that campaign is still ongoing. And we're going to be getting back to our Horde of the Dragon Queen run-through very shortly. So if that is something that you're interested in, go check out one of those three. We have episodes, you know, spread throughout. And uh, GM Tips is just more me kicking around uh, things that I'm toying with and ideas that I struggled with as a GM that hopefully maybe, like, if you're new to running things or you're thinking about running something that you haven't used, these might be helpful to you. So... Today, I wanted to talk about something that I was messing with as I'm working on the world book for uh, a project. It is um, the idea of just using vehicles in a game. I kind of touched on this in an older episode of GM Tips. That was back in our This Ship, This Crew episode. That was more about giving a vehicle uh, personality, making it unique. This is really more just about like the mechanics side of it. Um, as always, most of this stuff kind of applies to any role-playing game system, RPG system. But I use D&D as an example a lot just because uh, with the popularity of things like Critical Role, so many people are, you know, even more people than it used to be. It used to be most people start role-playing games with Dungeons & Dragons just because it was the most easily accessible. And now I think a lot of people are seeing all the great streams and YouTube series and podcasts that do it and they want to join in on the fun. So it's just kind of like a natural starting point. And for many people, it's just their favorite game. So I try to also spend a good amount of time offering tips to those. So one thing that I uh, was thinking about, because for the world that I'm messing with right now, I had to think of a way to bring vehicles into it because players, just logistically, most players have a vehicle to move around because getting from point A to point B, even in a world where, you know, you have like magic portals and things, you're usually not going to want to walk on foot. Logistically, it could just take forever to get from, from town to town. And minor spoiler warning, if you're not listening to the new, newest series of Critical Role here, by, by this point in their first few episodes, they've gotten their hands on a cart and a couple of horses, and they're using that to get around from, you know, various places. And that's a pretty standard, like, it seems like the first thing most players get their hands on is either a horse or uh, a wagon or something along those lines. And that's fine. That that works. You know, it's like, eh, it's not the fastest thing. It's not the fanciest thing in the world. But it'll get you from point A to point B as long as you don't get waylaid. One thing that I think 5th edition does really, really well is proficiencies and how they apply to vehicles, you know. Um, certain backgrounds get proficiencies with certain types of vehicles. Like you have, you know, sailors who get proficiency with sea vehicles or water vehicles, I should say. The soldier who gets proficiency with land vehicles. I don't think any of them get proficiency with air vehicles. I'd have to double check, but I don't think anyone gets air vehicle proficiency like airships and stuff like that. But I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked. And when you're looking at a lot of these vehicles... I think GMs have tendency to go for, like, the big, grandiose ships and things that are going to be transporting, you know, massive amounts of cargo and hundreds of people. And that's not a bad thing, you know? It's always cool to have that big moment where you're like, 
bringing in the inspirational thing that's going to change, that, that's going to make everyone look up and stop and look and go, wow, that's definitely not, that's definitely something we need to uh, be aware of. One thing that I always loved, uh, this was back before I was even playing role-playing games. I used to, because social awkwardness kept me from ever having the ability to sit down at a table and play in a role-playing game, much less actually think of running one. I used to play a lot of video games, and one of my favorites was Final Fantasy IX. It's my favorite Final Fantasy game, to be honest with you. And I loved in that there were airships. Airships were just a common vehicle, and I thought they did a really cool job of building a world around the idea of airships and how those would work. They were, they were really like steampunk technology. It was like, you know, hot air and little engines and sails and things like that. And the nicer ones had armor and things like that. But they had like cities with like gates that the, the airships could fly in that were raised. Uh, there were, you know, defenses to protect people from having airships sweep in and blow them up. And one of my favorite things was early on in the game, Spoiler warning for people who haven't played Final Fantasy IX, the characters come into possession of a very small airship. Uh, I say very small. This thing was like the size of a house, basically, and was used for, like, little short cargo runs. And you can see that this is not something that's going to have a crew of, like, hundreds of people. This would probably be crewed by maybe four or five people, at most eight. As a GM, one of the things you're going to struggle with is, how is the party going to crew a vehicle? In the case of, like, a wagon or a, you know, horse and buggy or, like, a land vehicle like that, that's usually, like, you know, one or two people can easily keep that thing rolling along. Even if you have a small party, they can usually manage a wagon pretty effectively. When you get into, like, sea vehicles and water vehicles and things like that, you know, big, huge ships... That can definitely be a challenge because there's not too many that are going to adopt a very limited number of crew. Um, and like, honestly, a lot of the ones that are like one or two is like a rowboat. No one wants to guess. Getting a rowboat is all well and good or a little like a river, river barge kind of thing. Like, you know, we see in the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, they, they get the little barge, uh, or a canoe or something like that. There's nothing wrong with those, but they're not. For lack of a better word, they're just not cool. They're not the kind of thing that your players are going to be like, man, that rowboat we had was the best rowboat ever. It's the kind of thing that you're using, again, like, you know, unless you're really attached to the horse and buggy, you're probably going to get from point A to point B with it and either use it just by necessity's sake or abandon it for the first thing that comes along that's cooler. This is a good way that you can bring hirelings into a campaign and have something to do with them that makes your life easier as a GM. It's very easy to say, like, okay, maybe your party started out on this ship and you were at sea. It's big enough to a comp that you're, you're going to need more than a, the average party. Let's say your party is, like, four or five players. You know, I would say, like, the the smallest large ship you're really going to see is a crew of about eight. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I would classify as something a party's not going to ditch or just have or abandon at the first opportunity. Now, maybe your party was just sailing on this thing, and you were attacked at sea by a sea hag, and your party, of course, being the heroes in this world, managed to survive the attack, and all the other crew members were killed or went overboard. Or maybe they you survived a shipwreck, but again, the crew either died or went over, you know, is lost at sea. You know, as a GM, you can kind of have them, okay, you're going to try to make checks. None of you have it and have proficiency with this type of vehicle so you're going to have disadvantage on these checks and it's 
you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to make this thing into a harbor intact. But let's say you play it as a GM, you play out the scenario, and they do make it. Congrats to them. Um, if you're doing, like, milestone experience points, if the party was close to leveling up, at that point, I'd probably go ahead and bump them up. That's a great kind of, like, capstone to those early few levels. Also, a nice way is, like, you know, you arrive in the, the harbor you're trying to reach, and that's where you're going to set off the next phase of your story. When they get to the harbor, you know, most port towns are going to find sailors and things like that that are going to be willing to take on work. So this is a nice chance for your party to start thinking of things they can do with the money besides trying to go to every shop in town and buy magical items. Like, you're going to need, if you want to continue to have this ship, you need to have a crew to help you do the things that keep it running. And this is just a nice way for you as the GM to have NPCs that are regular recurring members in your campaign, but that you don't have to have just constantly walking around with the party everywhere they go. You're, you know, they're, they're helping, they're part of the world that you, the party is building with you, but they're not, you know, ever present tagalongs that are, you know, try, another thing to track an initiative, another creature's NPC, another NPC's stats to keep track of for every combat. They help the party get wherever they're going and then they stay with the ship to make sure, you know, oh, okay, we'll make sure that your ship isn't, you know, destroyed while you're away. It also kind of opens up the idea of some interesting uh, things you can do. Maybe a mutiny occurs, which there are in the DM guide. There's rules for, you know, mutinies. And, or, uh, you know, you come back and you find that your ship's been stolen. Or maybe it's just missing and you have to, you know, track them down. It adds an element of interest to the vehicle to make it more than just, you know, point A to point B, and it adds an element of, like, you know, your party is starting to be a force in the world beyond just hitting things. You know, you have your ship. You have your crew on this vessel of, you know, whatever you have, and now you can move more easily, and also you kind of have a a home base. A lot of players will want to have, like, a fortress or a keep or something like that. I think that's something a lot of players see as, like, this is our home base. You know, this is our, our inn that we hang out at, or this is, you know, our tower that we captured. Having a place as a player that, you know, you kind of feel like this is, this is our home. It can really anchor your players to the world and give them more ties. You know, if your players are always coming back to like, you know, this is home. This is where we measure all of our adventures from. You can say, okay, well, your tower is here. And, you know, the little port town that has built up kind of around your adventures is over here. And that ship you captured way back when you were level five is always at anchor, ready to take you off to wherever you want to go in town. And you have, you know, 15 or so hirelings who keep it uh, up and running for you. All that gives them kind of a place that they can come back to. It's not just, you know, these kind of armored wanderers who never really come back to anything. They just traipse through the world doing what they will, and going on to the next thing. It seems like the natural progression is like a land vehicle of some kind, a water vehicle of some kind. Unless you're in Dark Sun, then you almost never get water vehicles because there's no water. And then air vehicles, depending on the setting. Uh, If you, you know, airships are cool. Um, I think airships are cool. I guess some people don't. So that's my opinion. I do do think that the, the big fancy ones, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of have to figure out, like, how do airships fit into your world and how do airships work as a GM? I mean, first off, I would say you 
probably aren't going to have any players who are going to know how to use one of these things right from the go. So, again, it's kind of a specialized thing that players are going to go, oh, that's so cool. When we did um, uh, The Lost City, the, the module, I started the players off in uh, an airship that they had basically hired to take them out into the desert. This thing was basically a very small boat crewed by, you know, one person and was little more than uh, a transport vessel. But there's nothing stopping you from making something a little more impressive. Or if you like something like that and you just want to throw it at your party, you can definitely do that. Um, I think the challenge you're going to face with, like, airships more than anything else is in most parties, I'd say you have a pretty good chance of someone having proficiency with either water vehicles or land vehicles. Probably not ever going to happen with airships. And if it, if they do get their hands on one of these things somehow, you probably are going to have, because they're not likely to dump one of these. If they get one of those things, you can bet they're going to try to hold on to it because now they've basically gained the ability to fly. And depending on their level, they're going to be using that to cruise wherever they can go. It's like, we can just fly over walls and gates. So if you're going to put an airship in your game, I would definitely consider, is this something that is like a one-of-a-kind vessel? Is it very common to your world? Or is it, you know, if it's something that's very, very common, then, you know, yeah, sure, having a group of adventurers roll into t- fly into town on one of these things is not a big deal. Especially if it's kind of a junky one, they might not give it a second look. It's like, oh, it's the Millennium Falcon, who cares? Whereas if it's the only one, most people probably aren't going to know how to repair such a thing. And even just getting it into town is going to draw a lot of interest. People may want to steal it. People may be worried about what is that thing. Uh, that can, it's going to set things in motion. So that's thing one. If you have airships in your world, definitely think about how that applies to the whole world. And, you know, remember, if they're flying, they're going to go over a lot of natural obstacles. Like, you might have set up a cool side quest for them in those mountains that they literally just fly over. So just keep that in mind. It's one of those things that you you have to keep in, you know, thinking, like, how are they moving through the world here? Are they just flying around everything? What are the limits of this thing? You know, is it like a bound elemental spirit that powers this? Or is it just, you know, like essentially a blimp? Are, are, is the world that they're in, you know, is it like a lot of storms? Are storms going to be blowing this thing off course? Storms are one of those things. And again, I've talked about storms and using weather in your campaign. You don't want to use a storm to kind of push the party where you want them to go. Like in uh, the old Wizard of Oz cartoon where she was always chasing... Dorothy was always chasing the wizard whose balloon was being forever blown, you know, in whatever direction she didn't happen to be going week to week. You want to kind of let them go whichever way they want to go. But every once in a while, you could be like, oh, a storm, you know, is coming. You're aware of it. You can avoid it or you can, you know, go into it. If they say, well, we want to completely avoid that. We don't want to take any chance of damaging our ship. You know, maybe they put down and things happen wherever they land this thing. Or maybe they say, we're going to, you know, go right into it. This gives you a great chance to be like, okay, so as you're sailing into this, you realize that this is not a natural storm. This is, you know, it's too powerful. It's too isolated. You get the sense that, you know, a storm giant is basically venting its fury upon this mountain for some reason. I would definitely give that to them, you know, when they're on the outer ring of that event so that they can say, okay, we don't want any part of that. We're level five and a storm giant's way out of our weight class. Well, they might say push on, we need to, you know, find out what's going on with this storm giant. It's stuff like that that you can do that kind of like every, 
to me, every kind of transportation is opening up new avenues to adventure for your players. You know, things that they never would have seen had they just been, you know, traipsing around town to town on foot are now available to them. You know, water vehicles, it's like you can go find islands that, you know, they never would have seen otherwise. They can, you know, and it, it does, like, yes, there are cool things where it's like, oh, I have the sailor background. I can barter for passage, you know, which uh, they used very, very well in the Critical Role, the new campaign. I really liked how they brought that into things. Again, minor spoiler warning, sorry, but super minor, and that's from a while back. But it's one of those things that, like, yes, you can do that, but just, like, buying a, <laughs> getting a ride on a boat one time, I don't think has the same effect of, like, you know, we went to these places and explored them because we wanted to. There's, it, it kind of takes that sense of urgency and doesn't get rid of it because the players usually have reasons for going to places. But it gives them the option to be like, we're not trying to like barter passage with this captain who's sailing, you know, wherever they're going. And we're trying to get them to make little side trips. We command this ship and we can take it wherever we want. If you're going to be going, doing it for like a long time, there are rules for giving people proficiency with new tools and things like that. I would definitely have a discussion with your players. I think it's like 250 days to, uh, gain proficiency with certain like toolkits and things like that. So it's not the easiest thing in the world, but as a GM, if my players are saying like, we want to all gain proficiency with, you know, sea vehicles and things of that nature. If they're doing like a long sea voyage, like, you know, between continents on a traditional mast ship, depending on the size of your world, you might say, if we do this, it's going to be basically a year of travel to get from here to there. I don't want to role play out a year at sea. You're going to, it's like, you know, discuss it with them. It's like, okay, you're going to stick to stick the shipping lanes. These are pretty well patrolled. There's not really a problem with piracy here because again, they're regularly traveled. The ship, you know, the shipping barons all have agreements with each other to make sure that these lanes are kept free of, uh, dragon turtles and merfolk and anything that could waylay them. Aside from the occasional storm, you're not going to have any trouble. So we can just jump. You know, do a, do a time jump and say, like, what are you doing during your time? They might say, like, okay, uh, we all want to learn to use the ship. We want to, you know, we all came aboard. We got this ship. Now we want to actually learn to use it. Say, okay, well, in a year, you're definitely going to have time to learn how to work the ship so that they can take a more active role and, you know, be proficient at it. Not just be like, well, okay, I make the check and I don't have proficiency with it, but I'm going to try anyway. You know, it's always fun to be like, I don't know anything about steering a ship, but I'm going to try. And you hit a reef and sink it. Super good. It's more fun to be able to say, you know, you can do this, do those cool maneuvers that we see. It also gives the players a nice chance to kind of role play things out. If you have hirelings who are doing the day to day stuff and they're just, you know, okay, we're, you're the night crew. You keep watch. We're going to go below decks and plan our next big maneuver. I just like the idea of the party, you know, be like, there, there's such a cool idea of like the party picking a flag for their group, you know, to represent their adventures and saying, this is our flag. We're going to fly this from our mast as we traverse the world and, you know, tell our stories. I think vehicles, I think there's something special about every vehicle that shows up more than one or two times in a game. I think they can definitely be one of those things that make your players feel like the world is less static and 
has more personality to it. Um, you know, just the types of vehicles that are common. Maybe in your world, land travel is impractical it, for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, it's like, well, we live in the, the setting we're using is thick jungle. And you're not going to be traversing it in, uh, you know, like horse and buggy. The only land transport we have are basically like armored elephants that are very, very expensive. And to gain access to such a thing is, you know, you're going to have to pay, be part of a caravan or gain the favor of someone powerful and influential. That sets a tone for your world. Like, okay, so people are more isolated because there's not this easy, like, I can just walk into the jungle. It's like, you can, you'll probably die. Um, you know, this is going to affect how trade works. Uh, it's going to affect, it, it does set the tone for a lot of things about your world that you should be thinking about, especially if you're world building, you know, how is trade going to be affected by this? Uh, what's, you know, are common people going to be able to move easily from place to place? This is, that's one of the things that really did affect the history of our own world. Just the ability to travel massively changed everyday aspects of the lives of everyone. It, it affected everyone from the, the, you know, the very poor to the rich. And it, it just changed a lot of things. So when you're thinking of your world, think like, okay, if there's no land vehicles that can be used effectively, except for, let's say in this case, those armored elephants, that's not a very good way to trade because you're not going to have many of these and they're not terribly fast. So people are either going to be very isolated, have very minimal knowledge or news, and, you know, there's like, okay, this place has these things, so any goods coming in from outside are going to be very, very rare and very, very desired. So that sets up some interesting ideas, like the caravans have stopped. Anyone involved in the merchant trade is immediately going to say, okay, our flow of exotic goods has stopped. We need to know what's going on. And this is where adventurers can come in very easily. Like, we need you to go out and find out what's happening. And this is also a chance to bring in more exotic methods of travel. You know, if you're like, well, we don't want just water vehicles that are traditional and land vehicles and sea vehicles and air vehicles that are the norm that you see in other settings, go for it. If you want your world to be filled with, you know, something different, just think about it. Like, okay, if we have trains now, what led to the innovation of these trains? And, you know, I don't think a party is usually going to want to steal a train or have... I probably wouldn't pick that as my, my go-to thing for most settings. Because, like, trains are, you know, obviously on a fixed rail. But if it's cool and they want to go with that idea and they have, like, we have a train now, <laughs> let them do it. Definitely homebrew some rules. Uh, I would definitely add, you know, that would definitely be a land vehicle. So if they have proficiency in land vehicles, let them, you know, figure out how to keep a train going. That'll be, uh, and it also, wow, uh, that gives a whole new idea to the term of like railroading your players because they're literally on a track right then and there. Um, I would definitely say if you're thinking about bringing vehicles into your game, there are Five things I would keep in mind. One, your party's proficiencies. Who's good with what and who's going to be capable of keeping this thing running? Thing two would definitely be what kind of vehicle and how rare is it in your world? If you're in a modern setting and you give them a van, you've basically handed them like the equivalent of a wagon. If you're in a fantasy setting and you've handed them an airship, then you might have just handed them something that could break your game or completely change the layout of the world. Just think those things through. Three, you know, upkeep, things like that. If you're handing an airship to a party, they're going to have to 
keep that thing running. Whatever form of fuel it uses or repairs it needs or docking fees. Uh, it's one of those things that, like, if you hand the party that stuff when they're not prepared, when they have no gold, they may have to, like, park it in some really shady places and then it ends up being stolen. Which is not a bad thing. Uh, handing parties things they're not prepared to deal with can be a way to launch little adventures and side quests. Like, we just got this awesome vehicle, and it got stolen immediately because we docked it in the worst port in town because that's all we could afford. Four is just the story that you're telling. If you are running a nautical game, giving the players a ship is just the natural step to that kind of a game. If you're doing a game that, you know, takes place in the dark sun setting, then giving them a boat is fine. I wouldn't invest too much time and energy in figuring that out because they can't really do too much with it. Maybe they, you know, decide, well, we want to do something with this boat. What do we do with it? We'll hire some people to, like, keep it running for us and maybe, you know, use it as a fishing boat to collect some coin. Okay, you can certainly do that. Whenever you come back this way, you get this much money. Just think through the world that they're in a little bit and how this vehicle is going to fit into it. The last thing I would definitely take into account is why this came up. If the party just says, we go and look for a horse and buggy, okay, uh, you, you know, yes, you can locate a horse and buggy in town and they immediately start trying to steal one. You know, um, it's one of those things where players will sometimes try to do things that you as a GM are going to have, you may want to remind them. If you go into a harbor and steal the first ship that you see, there are going to be consequences to those actions. If the players do, you know, maybe you're doing an evil campaign and like, we don't care, we're going to steal a ship because that's what we do. Or we don't care, we're good guys and we need a boat, we're going to steal it. Having ships and things like that that have a history to them, that have like the original owner of that ship is pursuing them, maybe they stole it because they're like, we have to get to this island to stop this cult from flooding the, the coastline, they might have had a good reason for doing it. Did they return the ship and explain that? Maybe, maybe not. Just think, like, how and why did they need this? And what methods did they use to get it? This also comes into play a lot with, like, sci-fi games. Uh, like, And that's the kind of thing that I've never really liked about, like, games like the Star Wars role-playing game. You see all these cool vehicles... But their crew numbers are insane. You'll see, like, you know, oh, Star Destroyer crewed by 80,000 people. At that point, you are a Jedi general during the Clone Wars or something, you know, a uh, a member of the Imper- of the Galactic Senate or something of that nature where you're... This isn't your ship. This is a ship that is under your command, maybe, but that's about the best you can hope for. And I, I always feel like that kind of takes it away, takes away some of the fun of those things. You know, you're not going to get to know 80,000 people on a crew. Even if you run a 10 year campaign and you go out of your way to talk to one NPC every time you play, you're not going to meet every person on that ship. Now, there's always cool things you can do with that. Like, you know, you were like, okay, um, one of your players is not there this week. You, you're like, okay, so that player comes, that, that player's character has a fever. And, you know, the ship is at sea. You were going to do an encounter, but you decide, like, this is a good chance for some cool role play. And, you know, you let the players have kind of a uh, lower decks Voyager episode where they're interacting with the secondary NPCs who don't really get to do very much. 
or say very much. Um, and I think those are always really fun episodes. Uh, one of the things that I think separates a good GM from a great GM is the ability to make memorable NPCs. And for better or worse, as a GM, you're not always going to be able to get your players to interact with every NPC that you come up with. So this is a chance to kind of show, oh, you have this personality on board that's never really come up. And I think that's one of the things that a fantasy setting really does have an advantage over a sci-fi setting. So much of that stuff is is automated and uh, just a lot more advanced. It needs more people. Whereas fantasy settings tend to be a little more practical. They tend to be a little more like we're using this as a transport vessel, not, you know, we're not going between worlds and carrying hundreds of thousands of troops. So, yeah, I would just, you know, keep those things in mind. I hope that some of that information might have been helpful to somebody. Uh, we Again, we'll have more actual play stuff for you soon. We're recording more stuff, so we'll have a good backlog for you before we start putting those episodes out again. And we look forward to having that stuff for you. So everybody, until next time, play more games and be safe. Bye!